What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I am Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube, youtube.com. You always use more subscribers on YouTube. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Of course, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. It's WrestlingTWT. Wherever you're listening to me from, thank you so much for checking out Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday from the professional wrestling capital of the world, Chicago, Illinois. On this edition of TWT, Tribe members, we will talk about a phenomenal, not good, not okay, not mad, not mid pay-per-view, a phenomenal pay-per-view from All Elite Wrestling from Orlando, Florida. As I start here to break down this card with you, pay-per-view matches for professional wrestling is supposed to be a cut above what you see on your local cable channel, USA, TBS, TNT. Pay-per-view wrestling is supposed to be a step above, things you've never seen before. I've always looked at it from that standpoint. When I would order WWF at the time pay-per-views or WCW, NWA pay-per-views back in the day, you would always try to find... Something like, boy, I've never seen that wrestler do that before. I've never seen that tag team do that before. New innovation, new angles, things you've never seen before. That's the essence to me of pay-per-view wrestling. And when I turn on AEW Revolution this past Sunday night, there's some things I've never seen before. And a wrestler is taking risks that I've never seen before on this particular roster. This was sensational what AEW put together. The backstory coming into it, many that do what I do for a living, doing a wrestling podcast, was wondering, like, okay, so what's the match placement, right? What's going to be the main event out of all of this? And it ended up being the AEW championship on the line as Adam Page takes on Adam Cole. And they had a nice story going, three weeks to a four-week story going, and it was a very good main event. It's interesting that if this was the WWE, that main event might have been first. As a matter of fact, I said at the time on this podcast that I thought that the dog collar match with CM Punk and MJF should have gone last because of the grudge match element, because these two hate each other, the story that was told. I would I'd actually 
be one to tell you, honesty compels me to tell you that I think that the greatest story that has been told is MJF against CM Punk, but they were not the main event. So I want to go through this card with you because I just thought it was tremendous. I will start first with what I thought was the best match on the card, and that is CM Punk against MJF, the dog collar match. There's been a lot of references to Rowdy Roddy Piper against Greg the Hammer Valentine. My hope is, is that as a wrestling fan or a sports entertainment fan that you've seen this, right? It holds up today as far as how these two just didn't like each other. Piper and Valentine just did not like each other at all. And the story through Mid-Atlantic slash NWA was that Piper was this tough guy, but he wore a kilt and he did broadcasting on the side. And so it's kind of like, okay, can he really fight? People didn't know the fight in Piper in the NWA and Mid-Atlantic at the time. They just saw him as a talking head that had some wrestling acumen. And Greg the Hammer Valentine, well, his whole thing was, well, that's the son of Johnny Valentine. And Johnny Valentine was a badass. Go put a put a YouTube on Johnny Valentine, see how tough that he was. Um, that guy was amazing. But he didn't have the charisma, and neither did Greg. <laughs> but they both were very, very good in the ring. Very stiff, very strong guys in the ring. So when you think about CM Punk and MJF, they both love Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. And they wanted to be able to kind of do this match in their own way. And I thought this was an A+, and he knocked it out of the park. You think about these two going back and forth and, the M- and CM Punk bleeding early, right? So he's been busted open twice. Kind of like in the old school way where someone would bleed on TV and you're like, oh my God, this person is busted open on TV. I can't wait for so-and-so to get after this guy on the, ma- the major show. And this is what happened to CM Punk. He bled on Wednesday, bled in the pay-per-view. Because that old wound is one of the storylines. Like, oh, that op- that wound's opened up from this past Wednesday. Old school. You haven't seen that in years. That kind of storytelling in years. MJF, who lured CM Punk in and told him, like, you know what? You got me this time. Uh, but you're going to see a completely different CM Punk. And CM Punk turned the clock back to when I saw him in Chicago wrestling for the LWF or Russell for Ring of Honor in the Chicagoland area. That's the CM Punk that I grew up watching. Wild hair, um, just a carefree spirit, cavalier, strong, all these things, right? And we're able to see this from CM Punk. And for those that have been watching for a long time and you saw him with that ring jacket and the way he had his you know, basketball shorts slash ring attire, it was just uh, a flashback to what he used to be. And so, and that's really the essence of pay-per-view, right? CM Punk had this big promo talking about, hey, you want to have the real CM Punk? I'm going to show you the real CM Punk. (laughs) Woo! (sighs) Few people are going to understand that being in this much pain makes certain people feel so very alive. I think you understand, Max, and if you don't, on March 6th, you will. You are going to find out exactly what you think you already know, that CM Punk is the master, and I know exactly who the I am. 
You want to call me PG Punk? You want to pretend like I'm not that same guy? You want that same guy that you grew up idolizing? Congratulations, Maxwell, Jacob, Friedman, but you're not ready. And on March 6th, I'm going to walk you like a dog. I'm going to beat you and beat you. And I'm going to beat you until your own mother won't recognize you. I'm going to leave parts of you in that ring. And I'm going to leave parts of you all over Orlando, Florida. This is what you want. More importantly, this is what you deserve. On March 6th, I will become a monster. Fight the monsters of the world because I'm CM Punk. And I'm better than you. Way too far. You stupid, stupid old man. I'm a snake. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And this Sunday at Revolution, I'm going to show you and all these mindless sheep that I am the devil himself. He could be thinking Pepsi plunge. Fans start to hear that hush, that murmur. Look at, look at anticipation. Him. Look at him. Look at MJF fight out violently. MJF knew it was coming. He's felt it once before. He didn't want to have it again, especially on the thumbtacks. Look at the face of this menace. Somebody's got to gain an advantage here, and they both seem hell bent into driving their, the other into the thumbtacks. The thumbtacks already on the bottom one. Oh. That must be. Oh, just, not, just a few on the back, but all, most of them hit right on the rear end, the lower back. Look at the replay. MJF suplexing CM Punk in a tax cover. Whoa! Great opportunity there for MJF to end it, but it didn't go his way. And somehow Punk is blocking out the pain long enough to at least stay coherent in this gameplay. Paul Turner was counting the pinfall. Even he's not safe from the thumbtacks. Got some of the palm in his hand. Both men walking in a proverbial minefield here. Dog collar. Oh. They just rolled over on the tacks. The cover. One, two. Oh. Boy, that was not a kick out. That was a left shoulder off the canvas. That's about all CM Punk and Mustard. It's amazing he could do that. Yeah, the, the, the dog collar has come unhooked from the neck of MJF. Well, how the hell did that happen? Wardlow! Wardlow! Wardlow? Wardlow, we saw... He's, he's already won the face of the Revolution ladder match. MJF is calling for backup. And here comes Wardlow! And Paul Turner just relinked the chain, importantly, on the neck of MJF. But that may not matter because MJF calling on his backup. Wardlow with a rather strange look on his face. He's calling for the ring. Oh, 
the best man didn't bring the ring. You can't find it. Well, Punk, he just, he just brought MJF in. Oh, he's serious. Oh, right into the tacks. Right into those tacks. And Wardlow locking eyes with CM Punk. Wait a minute. It was in the right pocket. Ah, okay. Yes, it was, Tony. <laughs> yes, it was. Well, he, 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 he came down to put it in the ring. You might as well put There you go. That weapon. Wrist has a ring. Listen to the cheer of the fans. Fans love it. They love what Wardlow has finally done, and that is to tell MJF to essentially kiss his ass. I'll just put, it doesn't matter what finger it's on. Put it on there, buddy. The dynamite diamond ring on the right hand of CM Punk who, by the way, is also an orthodox striker. All that time, MJ was lying in those tacks. Punk with a firm grip on the dog collar. Oh, boy. MJ spit right in the face of CM Punk. To the very end, buddy. Oh, and Punk tees off at the ring. The cover... It's over. Mercifully. This bloody brawl. Oh, has concluded. CM Punk. Wow. Dog collar match in the books. CM Punk over MJF. My question is, what happens to MJF after this? Right? He's had a lot of high-profile matches and some losses against some seasoned veterans. So what happens to MJF now? We continue to see speculation like MJF is going to be the next... Uh, AEW champion at some point in 2022. I could see that. Um, I just don't know when, which pay-per-view, but I just know that MJF's had uh, a lot of really solid matches. We understand that he's a heel, and when you're just a red-hot heel, eventually he will turn into a babyface. I don't know when that's going to be either, but it was pretty strong. So I really love that match, the story that was told, and it was an A-plus for me. You know, I really love about AEW also is that you get these media scrums. I like how Triple H was doing this with um, with NXT when he was ro- rolling with NXT when he was able to speak uh, in these media scrums uh, after the events. So Tony Khan sitting next to CM Punk and Punk got emotional and rightfully so. Uh, this was uh, an amazing, amazing match. Great story told, and listen closely to what CM Punk had to say about his match against MJF and just all of it. Turning the clock back with his outfit and his music, everything that was all-encompassing with this dog collar match. I'm great. Well, I'm, I'm warning you all now, and probably going to start crying or something, because I'm, uh, I'm very emotional right now, but I'm great. Well, congratulations on your huge win tonight. Before AEW Revolution, we saw you in two pay-per-view matches that were absolutely brutal. Those type of matches take years off of people inside the ring. How many more of those type of matches do you have in you? Uh, hopefully none. <laughs> Honestly. Um, they're hard. Uh, it's a... Uh, 
it, it sucks when just like kiss men stuff sort of happens, you know, uh, and it leads, it points you in a, a very brutal direction, you know. I, I think dog collar matches are uh, stupid dangerous. Um, I'm happy I still have all my teeth. I didn't even chip one today. Uh, but they're they're very they're very brutal and it's it's hard I think for fans to understand exactly how brutal they are. You know, I think most people have been punched in the face once or twice in their life, so they can kind of relate to that. But having um, like you know 12, 20 feet of loggers chain attached to your neck, it 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 just it sucks, and it's one of those why why am I doing this moments? Uh, but it's just kind of a love letter to uh, Roddy Piper. I mean, my career, I had a couple of good dog collar matches um, with some good people, and it just, it, just, it just kind of made sense to, you know, to tell that story. Thank you. In the back there, please. Oh, Righteous Reg of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Graph City Podcast. Uh, great match. Uh, Thank you. Seems like you were having a lot of fun, even though it wasn't real, <laughs> which is fun. Um... Everybody got a little fake out with MJF and the cult of personality, but you pivoted and brought back the AFI thing. How important was it to kind of pay tribute to yourself <laughs> with the gear and the thing and everything? Um, I mean, it was pretty important, you know? I loved ROH so much, you know, and uh, I, I can't explain how happy I am that like, my footage, <laughs> it's in good hands, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's just, it's just good to know that it's in the hands of somebody who, who treat it well. I literally feel like my baby is in somebody's hands that I know will raise the child the right way and uh, do good things with it and you know uh, it, it just it won't get made into just some tab on a shitty confusing app that's hard to navigate uh, and, and, and the boys don't get paid anything off it you know what I mean so it's just it, it, it was uh, you know it, was, it it's very good, but to, to kind of pay homage to, you know, myself and stuff like that, listen, I didn't get to do this for seven years. This didn't exist for seven years for me. And, uh, you know, the, obviously the truth is that I, I love professional wrestling very much. Um, so, you know, to come back and to be able to for six months, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not just do whatever the fuck you want. It's it's doing whatever the fuck you want and being being cocky enough to know that your way is not the right way. There's never only one right way, but it's fucking good. Yes. And to have somebody that listens to you and to have somebody that can take an idea and make it even better. And, and just to have an open dialogue, not just with him, but with other people in the locker room. And it's just, it's great that you don't have to beat your head against the wall and explain, you know, like, why your ideas are shitty and why I don't care who you, you think you are, that you, you don't know what you're doing. And it's, it's nice. It's, it's, everything's, everything's just so great. I don't... In the back, please.
AEW World Title. You know what? The result of all this is that right now, Paige is at Cole's mercy. Look at this. Adam Cole brings him up once again. No defense. None, none at all. Can't even get a hand up. Now he drops it here, Excalibur. And if Adam Cole lands this, no! Here he goes! What a remote shot. Can he pull himself up? It's hunting season. Hangman Paige. Bucks. Oh, what a counter! The number one contender saw it coming. Wolf swinging a miss. Super kick. Back of the head. Oh, and all these shots. Oh. Cole. Hangman did the only thing he could to avoid that. He just dropped flat to his stomach. Great counter. Sometimes the simplest counters are the best. Just fall down, baby. Really smart. And even more timely. What are these two termites doing? Red Dragon grabbed the timekeeper's table. Well, this makes me and everyone here uncomfortable as hell. Finish him? They're saying finish him? What's the purpose here? Adam Cole. Oh, no, wait a second. Boom! Take another look. The dead eye through the table. Pop the hips, hit him in the face. And there you go. The back of the first knuckle of Adam Cole on the ropes to force the break. And Tony, you mentioned how Hangman was tied to the ropes, right? Now Adam, Adam Cole. A setting duck. And he ain't quacking. And Hangman Page getting a measure of revenge from Wednesday night, but oh! Man, that's a timely, timely counter. And Adam Cole able to free himself. But Hangman, I think it was a tooth that came out. Would uh, not surprise me. Yeah, well, the number one contender was brought to his knees. That is a tooth that's got a good dental. And speaking of knees, the knee pad is down. Hangman may be looking to lower the boom. Hangman with momentum. Boom. He's going to. Look at how quickly uh, the champion got on the apron to get prepared for what he hopes will be the coup de gras. Boom. Uh,
not ignore everything that they did and do the best that I can to have the best match of the night? Uh, it's tough because tonight was a hell of a show. I mean, there was everything. You saw everything before I ever got out there, and I saw it too because I, I watched the entire show. Um, it's difficult, uh, and especially these days, having a child at home, I feel very scatterbrained all the time. So it's, uh, maybe that's a good thing today because I wasn't able to take everything in and, and let it uh, start to, to worry me, but I just get so damn excited to do, uh, to do this. So I, I think watching anyone else do it doesn't, doesn't bother me at all, you know. Next question, Pam, in the back, yes, Pam. Brian Rose, yes, Pam, what's you don't have a whole long storytelling. You had a little bit of a break with him uh, working elsewhere. What was it like being in the room with him again? Uh, oddly familiar, knowing that I haven't seen him since, what, 2017, maybe, uh, in the ring. Uh, very familiar. Um, we have familiar uh, or similar movesets to a degree. Um, and it was, I don't know, man, it was kind of refreshing to, because, man, when he, he left the Ring of Honor, he was the man. You know what I mean? Like, he was the man. Uh, and I was just a kid trying to figure it out. Um, and to get to be across the ring of him today and be able to hang uh, and then beat his ass uh, felt very good, very validating, you know. Uh, one of the few times recently I felt really good about myself. Congratulations. Oh, thank uh, you. you brought up Ring of Honor there. Uh, you obviously cut your teeth there, and now Tony owns it. Um, what would no, you like to... <laughs> <laughs> that crazy? I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> what would you like to see Tony do with Ring of Honor? Uh, you know what? Um, I could give you a thousand different ideas, um, but the truth is, honestly, whatever the hell he wants, uh, because I think he has a very good track record with what he's done with AEW. Um, so going forward, uh, I trust this man uh, with Ring of Honor, uh, and I really do. I, I care a lot about Ring of Honor, and, and, I, and I trust Tony with it because I know that he does too. Um, he knows more about Ring of Honor than I do, I'm sure. You know, and I worked there for a very long time. Uh, so, uh, you know, whatever, whatever your intentions are, whatever your, your plans are, whatever you end up deciding to do, um, hey, and that's a lot more people who, you know, will have a job in wrestling. And that's one of the big things I was excited about with AEW because I knew, uh, you know, all my friends who, you know, were, were just trying to scrape by would would be able to make a living doing this. Uh, and that's really the dream. Uh, so to continue that, I mean, it's a blessing. So I'm happy no matter what. Hangman Adam Page right there talking to the media afterwards as he is successful in the main event of AEW revolution it could have been it, a lot of these matches could have been the main event but this was great for page i think that when page became the champion i think i've mentioned on this podcast several times like hmm he's a w champion okay what can he do to solidify himself as champion as we've said many times you know either the belt makes you or you make the belt i think he's starting to make the AEW championship uh, and i heard some boos there when he was taking over on page it was a split crowd people like adam cole they love the, the being able to chant back baby they remember what he did in nxt so they know he's a terrific wrestler and a future champion, I'm sure, in AEW. But uh, I know some boos there because uh, Hangman was taking over on on Cole and uh, he ended up winning the matchup. But I think there's got to be some mad respect there for Adam Page 
Hangman uh, with the victory against Adam Cole. Love to see these two wrestle each other again at some point. How about this matchup, which I thought was one of the top matches for Revolution as well, and that is John Moxley against Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson comes to John Moxley on Dynamite and says, you know what, I think that instead of being against each other, we need to be able to team up and teach the young wrestlers, some of the young wrestlers in the locker room. Brian Danielson and John Moxley, both of these guys tore up the Indies for a long time. And, you know, John Moxley pretty much said, hey, we could team up, but we got to bleed together first. We got to take on another. And man, you talk about a physical matchup. Somehow, some way, I turned on Revolution and New Japan Pro Wrestling showed up. It was New Japan physical. It was just that good. Um, this is, to me, my second favorite match on the card, and it's very close, right? I mentioned the dog collar match was my favorite. This is a very close second. This could be 1B uh, in that category because of how physical this matchup was. And, of course, this one involved blood as well. Moxley uh, busted open, and, uh, you know, it, it was as physical as I thought it would be. Danielson loves the pain, and he loves the fight, and so does Moxley. That's why this match worked. It was amazing. And then all of a sudden, someone comes out of nowhere. Wait a minute. This combined with the blood loss for John Moxley. Moxley is fading. Danielson now, the point of the elbow. Moxley, maybe mentally, would never be the same if he loses via submission. I don't know how the men would react. Was he taking so damn personally? Danielson. Oh, wait. Moxley grabbing the beard of Danielson, trying to do anything he can to force the break. But now Danielson readjusts. You can see he's got he's got the flat of his foot, or excuse me, tongue of his boot underneath his kneecap. Measured right hands. Right to the forehead. Oh, man. Oh. Right, right to the eye socket, Jim. Well, he's all over the face. Yeah, he is. And Moxley, though, rolls through into the ropes. He's got Danielson pinned. He got it. Moxley got it. Danielson can't believe it. He got Paul with a pins down. The wild thing. Moxley. Wow, we didn't see that again, man. I... Danielson didn't want to relinquish the grip on the triangle. Guys, be more professional, both of you. That was a good pin. Danielson just pissed off because he got out wrestled at the end. That's all that was. Only takes three seconds to win or lose. Oh, and Danielson wants to get returned to the body. They're not done. They're going to fight until midnight. And the referee corps headed out trying to separate these two gladiators. And security.
Trey Moxley. William Regal, Lord Steven Regal, Darren Matthews, whatever you call him, that guy showed up out of nowhere uh, from his time with NXT. Now he's all elite. He's an AEW, and he was there to stop Danielson and Moxley from fighting each other after the match was over. Very quirky finish at the end, but the story was told between these two. Now, will these two be a tag team, a two-man power trip? We'll see. And don't forget about the merchandise for uh, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It's in my bio. If you follow me on Twitter at WrestlingTWT, or if you follow me on Instagram at WrestlingTWT, the link's there is in my link tree, and then you can be able to check out the merchandise. You can get t-shirts. You can get mugs. You can get hoodies. Some of you have sent me pictures of your purchases. I really appreciate it. I love for you to represent Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday in a big way. It's something I've always wanted to do for a long time. We've got merchandise for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. All right. Let's go through the rest of these matches. And i got a couple of side notes regarding AEW that I want to get to before we're done here with this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. So, you know, people talked about the buy-in. Right, and which is the show on YouTube. That's where you can get a chance to check out uh, the show, get the buy-in, look at the pre-shows, and figure out, okay, do I want to purchase this or not? Layla Hirsch against Chris Statlander, very solid match. I can make an argument that was the best women's match on uh, AEW Revolution, and it wasn't even on the main card. Um, Layla Hirsch told a great story there. Uh, I thought that it was a little bit clunky early, but I just thought that for sure, the match found its footing as it went along. Um, Hook is over. I haven't talked a lot about Hook because he's so fresh and new in AEW, but this is the point about professional wrestling. Professional wrestling is about new and fresh and what's next, what's to come, right? And so Hook, Taz's son, comes on the scene, and anybody could have got this push, by the way. Anybody did. But Hook waited a, a long time for him to get this opportunity, and he's going through the uh, the roster are pretty good. Taking on QT Marshall as Hook wins that matchup. House of Black against Death Triangle. I can make a serious case that this match was maybe the fourth or fifth ma- best match of the card. Um, this was a tremendous trios match. House of Black against Death Triangle was fantastic. Good to see Eric Redbeard out there wrestling for uh, for AEW as well. But this match was really good. If you haven't checked it out, the buy-in is still available on YouTube. Just look for AEW and you can check out that match. Yeah, that's a hell of a buy-in match. 
<laughs> these are supposed to be two and three minute matches or five minute matches are, are just decent. Uh, but that was at worst a B plus match at worst. And it was, it, that was pretty good for just uh, something that's not even on the main card. Chris Jericho against Eddie Kingston told a great story. It was a, a, a excellent match for me. It's my possibly my fourth best match on the card. Um, just because of the story. I'm a sucker for story. What can I tell you? I'm a professional wrestling fan. Um, so Chris Jericho says Eddie Kingston can't win the big one. Eddie Kingston won the big one. And uh, it was a very unique, very unique submission that Eddie Kingston put on Chris Jericho for him to tap out. It's not very often that Chris Jericho is going to submit to anything. And so I thought that it was fantastic. And Eddie Kingston surprised. He gets up like, wait, did I win? Yes, sir. You did win. You be, did beat Chris Jericho in the opener uh, for Revolution. I thought it was a fantastic match. A lot Again, we talk about physicality. A lot of half-and-half half suplexes by Kingston that landed. Man, some jaw-dropping stuff from Jericho. You know, Eddie Kingston asked for Jericho to... You know, he wanted uh, Lionheart Chris Jericho. He wanted uh, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling uh, Chris Jericho, WCW Chris Jericho. He got some of that for sure as Chris Jericho's body is just getting better and better. The guy is over 50. He's kind of um, modified his body in a way that's different than it was even six months ago. So I really like this matchup a lot. Jurassic Express against Red Dragon against the Young Bucks. Well, I really like this match, and you can see there's a disconnect clearly between Red Dragon and uh, and the Young Bucks. And but Jurassic Express, they're getting over again. We're talking about you know young talented wrestlers that are being able to get pushed in the right way. Luchasaurus and uh, Jungle Boy. Um, I really liked what I saw here in this matchup. And again, just when the Young Bucks are there, and I'm not, and, and I've said before, I'm not like this over the top Young Bucks fan. I never have been. I just think. There's tag team wrestling, and then there's Young Bucks style tag team wrestling. And so you can't deny that the Young Bucks always bring the excitement. Even if you don't like them, they always bring exciting matches. And so I'm a big fan of Red Dragon watching them going back to the days of Ring of Honor. So just that dynamic is fun. Can I get a Red Dragon Young Bucks match in 2022? I think that's somewhere down the line. But I like this matchup a lot for the AEW Tag Team Championship. You talk about big guys, right? Wardlow, to me, is a future heavyweight champion. I just don't know when. You get Keith Lee in the ring. You have Orange Cassidy. You have Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starts, Wardlow, and Christian in the Face of Revolution ladder match. I liked it. There's some great moments in this. It, you know, Again, there, there's been better ladder matches, but I just think that when you feature three big guys in there with Wardlow... And Powerhouse Hobbs and Keith Lee, it's like, okay, that brings a whole different dynamic to the um, to that match. You know that for sure that Wardlow has been on a roll uh, for uh, for AEW because this guy's got the, those power bombs going. And he has just been uh, really fascinating to watch every week as he grows stronger and stronger with the crowd for AEW. And then Keith Lee, new to the company, big guy that was showing uh, how how swift he is. He's the super heavyweight, but then he moves like a cruiserweight. And those guys never go out of style. Yeah, guys like that never go out of style. I mean, I remember watching uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, one of the first ones I saw that could be able to move like that. Jerry Blackwell. Jerry Blackwell was 472 pounds and can throw a drop kick. Um, you know, we, we've seen even Andre in his early years can be able to move. Walter now, Gunther now, uh, big guy that could be able to move uh, – 
uh, very well. So I I really appreciate when the heavyweights can do the same things that an Orange Cassidy or Ricky Starks can do. I hope Ricky Starks is okay, by the way, because he was laying on <laughs> laying on the ladder like laid out. Hopefully that was a sell. He looked like they he got murdered. Uh, when he fell off that uh, ladder onto a, uh, a ladder that was outstretched in the ring. I hope Ricky's okay, because that didn't look good. A guy that's had some neck problems like Ricky Starks, I, I hope that he's okay. The AEW TBS Championship was on the line as Jade Cargill gets uh, a chance to take on Ty Conti. Hmm. Okay. Now, it was not a long match, and Jade Cargill is now 28-0 with this. Each match, I see something different from Jade Cargill. So she's got the personality down as far as her, you know, not liking the fans, disdain for the fans and all that. She has a manager and smart mark that's on the outside. I look forward to seeing more from Jade Cargill. And I think that she showed a little bit more than what she does in her normal TV matches. I thought it was solid. I thought that she did well. I like to see more. Of course, when Jade Cargill is wrestled not even 50 matches and she looks like that, you want to see if there's more to our arsenal. But at this point in time, she doesn't need a 15 or 20 minute match. Um, this is a mistake some promoters have done over the years where they put someone that's limited in longer matches and they get more and more exposed. I think the more time that Jade gets incrementally, I think that she'll be uh, even better. But the personality, the body... It's all there. It's just that just not being so start and stop, not being in her head so much about her movements. She takes on a veteran like Ty Conti. I wouldn't mind seeing those two again, as a matter of fact. I think that uh, Ty Conti could be a future TBS champion at some point in the women's division. Um, here's the match that I did not like on Re- Revolution. That's Britt Baker against Thunder Rosa. This match could have been a lot better. But once again, we see outside interference. And I'm not speaking as a mark here. I'm speaking as a wrestling fan regarding um, just Britt Baker matches in general. At some point, Britt Baker in these major matches. And I had, I, it's not like she's never done before. My point is, though, at Revolution, as great as this card is, this should not be the worst match on Revolution. And it kind of was for me because of the finish. It wasn't the action in the ring between Baker and Rosa. That's fine. But then when you've got the outside interference that's out there, and it's kind of like, well, what's the, I mean, really? I mean, I mean, you have Jamie Hayter and you got um, Rebel out there, and they continue to give Britt Baker support at ringside. They're not thrown out. They're still there. I just want to see Baker one-on-one against Thunder Rosa with no outside interference. I think that that was a match that could have been a lot better if you didn't have the attempts to try to throw Rosa off track with that outside interference. It's just too much t- for me. I didn't think that it was very good. It was the worst match on the card for me as far as the finish and just the, everything around it. Um, it doesn't. It wasn't enough. There were no F matches on here. There were no D matches on here, but that was the, the worst match that I saw at Revolution. At some point, Britt Baker, and maybe this is going to be, people suggested to me at Wrestling TWT, this is going to be a cage match at some point. I don't know. I just know that Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa could have torn the house down by themselves without all the the schmas and the outside interference. That was unnecessary. AHFO against Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting. Sammy Guevara is nuts. He had an amazing move (laughs) out there. 
uh, and then Sting hit a balcony dive through three tables as if he was New Jack from ECW. <laughs> Sting is 63, bro. He's 63 and doing dives off of balconies onto a table. Guevara hit uh, Isaiah Cassie with a Spanish fly from the crowd onto two tables on the entrance ramp. Crazy moments in this matchup. This is supposed to be a bridge match, a let-me-up match from Moxley to Danielson to AHFO, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting. supposed to be a let-me-up match. And it ends up being, like again, memorable because of what Sting did at age 63 doing this. It was fantastic. <laughs> just, uh, I did not expect that at all. I just did not. But there were some uh, uh, devastating moves there uh, that took place there. Tornado rules, just crazy. Uh, New York Falls and Sting getting more and more involved, more and more physical. He's 63 and moving around like he's 43 in some of these spots, right? And it's good for Sting to be in a tag team with Darby Allen because this does the world for Darby Allen. It does the world for some of the young guys he's aligned with in the locker room. So he doesn't have to do a, a ton, but he is doing some high-risk maneuvers that he didn't do when he was in his 40s. Some of the shit that we see him do in uh, AEW, I didn't even see in TNA. I don't think he was doing any of that stuff in TNA Impact Wrestling. Uh, and when he was in his, what, late 40s, early 50s? Maybe in his 40s, I would want to say. But at 63, he's doing a lot of stuff. So I really enjoyed this show. I really did. I think that from top to bottom, the way it was booked was the way Tony Khan wanted. He laid it out. And I just thought that, um, boy, this is what you want, right? When you're a wrestling fan, you want to see things that you don't see on the week-to-week television. And I just thought it was a fantastic card. And Orlando was into it. I know it was late. I was thinking, my God, we had a wrestling event until midnight uh, Eastern. I think that's how long it took. It was a long night uh, for the people in Orlando. But I mean, if you have a stacked card, that's great. Now, Revolution takes place. What you got, WrestleMania, for two nights? What you got? (laughs) That's what I say. You know, hold my beer, WWE. Now, what do you have? Let's see what uh, WrestleMania brings because... Revolution is not a name where I think, boy, this is a major pay-per-view. But when you book it and you have six to eight weeks to build on something, uh, and then you get this. I mean, they had some great results for this. And this is not, this is uh, one of these cards here where it's like, how do you top it? Just questions about this real quick. Questions about this. My number one question is, what's up with MJF now after this matchup against um against uh, CM Punk. What happens to MJF? Does he go back at CM Punk? Does MJF go away for a while and then come back? I don't know what happens with that. Do we get a rematch with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa? Is um, King Regal, William Regal, is he... I know he's all elite. Is he working in the back or does he still stay involved with the storyline with what's going on with uh, John Moxley and Brian Danielson? I have I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I like to know that. What happens with Chris Jericho? Chris Jericho just all of a sudden just, yeah, I'm a heel now. I mean, just after being a baby face and the last few weeks, the metamorphosis of him being back as a heel again. So who does Chris Jericho work with in the future? Who, who's, who's the guy he works with? Because Eddie Kingston gets a victory and, and rightfully so because that guy's worked hard. Um, so there's a few questions out of this. Okay, a couple of news and notes for you regarding Tony Khan. And I think I mentioned this. 
on YouTube, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I believe I mentioned it uh, on YouTube, but if uh, I did not, let me talk about it. Tony Khan now is an owner of Ring of Honor. He mentioned this on the go-home show for AEW Dynamite from Jacksonville, Florida. He owns Ring of Honor. And my advice to Tony Khan is this, is that I don't know what Ring of Honor is going to be. I just know that all the contracts that Ring of Honor had, they were all released. All the wrestlers were released. Now, I don't know if this is Tony Khan having to resign some of the original Ring of Honor talent that was around for 2021. I don't know the answer to that question either um, because it's not been known. But I would suggest this to Tony Khan. I would suggest that if Ring of Honor is going to be around, you have to figure out how they work into the infrastructure of your company. You don't necessarily have to have Jonathan Gresham or Bandito or whomever the ROH champion is. You don't necessarily have to have those guys on your Dynamite or Rampage card. I feel very strongly, and the reason why I feel strongly about this is because I've seen this through the years of professional wrestling. You own Ring of Honor. Cool. Okay, great. Ring of Honor has to be its separate identity. It has to be a separate entity. If Ring of Honor is still going to be around, where is it going to? Where are you going to wrestle at? You going to still put in have matches in Baltimore, the Washington D.C. area? Are you going to open up a, a Ring of Honor office someplace? Um, how are they involved with all, all Elite Wrestling? All I can tell you is that in the history of wrestling, this is usually bungled. When WWE purchased WCW, I don't know if Vince McMahon knew this. I think Jim Ross knew this, but I'm not sure that Vince knew this, that like Hogan wasn't coming, Hall wasn't coming, Nash wasn't coming initially. Goldberg wasn't coming. But you did but you did have Buff Bagwell and you did have Booker T and some of these other guys. I will never forget this. You know, the main event on our Monday Night Raw was Buff Bagwell against uh, Booker T and they brought quote unquote WCW announcers in Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson and it wasn't nothing like WCW right like Buff Bagwell and, Bo- and Booker T and that match was the shits it was not good and at that point Vince is watching he goes okay we're going to plug this this is in Tacoma not even a WCW stomping ground but that's where Raw was and so they put WCW in there and it is kind of like they, they did not do well with that um, and that roster really wasn't much at the end, right? You still had a flare at the end, an, old, an aging flare. Sting wasn't coming in. You had veterans that were just would rather stay home and get paid than to wrestle. They had uh, vibrant WCW, lucrative WCW contracts, and they weren't wrestling for Vince. They're like, no, you can just keep paying me through WCW, through Turner. And so they eventually came in, but it took a while, right? And so they purchased the library. Ultimately, they got the library. And then what, right? So they couldn't have a rivalry, a real rivalry with WCW versus WWE. It never really materialized. I know that the National Wrestling Alliance, they picked up a number of companies. They own Florida. They picked up Kansas City. um, And they picked up uh, Mid-South slash Universal Wrestling Federation, owned by Bill Watts. Um, so the purchase took place. Jim Crockett, who owned the NWA, they picked up and owned the UWF, Mid-South. And this is where they were able to get Sting and Dr. Death Steve Williams and Terry Taylor and um, the Sheep Herders and wrestlers. Uh, I think I don't think DiBiase was in the WWE at that time. But 
some of the main roster guys from the UWF, uh, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was in there. Missy Hyatt came in there. And they fumbled that ball too, right? They fumbled the ball. The NWA should have been able to integrate the UWF, and they did not. They, they brought some of those guys in, but they didn't make. They didn't have the wherewithal to say, this is a rivalry. NWA guys against UWF guys, or be able to keep UWF going in the Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi markets where Mid-South was thriving. Um, and they could have kept that going, kept the, you know, but they did not. And so that was fumbled. There's so many examples. Uh, ECW, obviously, is a more recent example, right? So uh, Vince McMahon picks up and buys a library from Paul Heyman of ECW and tries to revive ECW because they had a couple of really nice pay-per-views from New York. Like, um, you know, it was, to see Rob Van Dam and that moment against John Cena or some of the matches that they had, it was cool, Right. But once again, Vince dropped the ball on ECW as well. He wanted to put it in his own image instead of what ECW was, a grimy, gritty, um, try-hard organization where it was somewhat niche programming, but people loved it across the country because it was niche, because it was in sports entertainment, and he dropped the ball on ECW as well. So my advice to Tony Khan saying all of that history is figure out what Ring of Honor is. Ring of Honor isn't much to people across the country. That library is the number one thing for Tony Khan. The library of ROH, when you get the old footage of CM Punk, the old footage of, uh, of Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe and Claudio Castagnoli and Chris Hero and Tyler Black, who is Seth Rollins, all those guys. I mean, that, that is worth something, that library. But secondly, the roster that's there now for Ring of Honor, and I know some of those guys. You've heard Shane Taylor on this show uh, several times. It's not widely known. Because Ring of Honor wasn't widely known as far as what's happening now. Um, that's what happens when we don't have a national TV deal. But there are certain guys on that ROH roster that when we lost, last saw it, that can be able to carry the torch and be kind of like a separate brand away from AEW. Um, you don't want to rivalry a war with, a, with a Ring of Honor if you're AEW because no one knows those ROH guys. You know, if you're a deep, you know, if you're a deep dive wrestling fan, you know about some of those guys. Uh, but I'd like to see how he's going to handle this because the library's first. But him owning ROH is cool. But you know, I would say that that has to be a digital brand, and then people see, you know, will go to certain shows to see ROH to see certain guys. But to have them on Dynamite and Revolution. That's not good. I mentioned this too, and this is the last point I want to make on this issue. I really believe that um, AEW Evolution, the it, there's AEW Dark and there's AEW Evolution. I really believe that Evolution should be a much better show. I really believe that that should be the show where there's some young talent, but also other storylines that people can watch on YouTube and say, man, that's... That's some. That's so good. That should be on Dynamite. That's so good. That should be on Rampage. That should be something that um, AW should consider. Don't stockpile talent and not know what to do with it. Don't stockpile talent only for them just to be in catering or have to stay home because there's no room on uh, Dynamite or Rampage for them. Because now you're the WWE, right? You want to be anti WWE. You want to be anti establish establishment. Then you've got to be able to look at your talent roster and say, okay, we need to have shows 
to push these wrestlers so they're ready for Dynamite and Rampage. Believe me, I've seen it done poorly over the years where you have you know 10,000 squash matches on WCW Saturday night. You have Thunder you do nothing with, and then you everything's about Nitro. This is what Eric Bischoff went through, right? If you're Tony Khan, you have a vast, deep roster of young talent, and you have some veterans uh, sprinkled in there. Everybody can't be on Dynamite and Rampage, but somebody could be on, on Revolution. It could be that that show, that third show, and it's like, man, I, I got to see this, man. This is really good. Uh, and be able to develop. Dark can be those squash matches and kids learning, but that... Other show, Revolution, that, I'm sorry, Evolution, (laughs) that should be the show uh, for kind of um, third level storyline that could eventually be on Dynamite and Rampage. Okay, last thing, Jim Ross. (sighs) So you've heard me talk to Jim Ross, interview Jim Ross for a while here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. And I see what you see, people going after Jim, talking about how he's lost it and not interested anymore. And I, I have some information around about Jim and his inner workings at AEW uh, that I will not share at this point in time. Um, but I, I got to tell you something. His effort on revolution in Orlando was not good. And as someone who does play-by-play, who's very hard on himself, and I'm very hard on myself on my baseball and basketball play-by-play, I've done professional wrestling in the past uh, for a local indie in Chicago. I didn't think I was very good. I could be. I think I'd be a lot better now than I was um, doing wrestling um, in the early 2000s. That and you can catch it's on YouTube. Just look me and Lawrence Holmes and I did um, commentary. Long time ago for uh, for independent wrestling, and I know that's not an easy job to do, but um, I just don't know how long Jim can sit in that chair and collect a check and be respected. Uh, that that just was not good Sunday night. It just, it just wasn't, and I I just don't know. What Tony Khan's listening to, if he's listening to the broadcast, it's one thing to have a name in there like Jim, but um, he gets introduced, he gets lost coming out there, which I thought was troubling. That was the first thing I saw right before the pay-per-view. He came out because for whatever reason, right before when the buy-in is over, you got to have the introduction of Jim Ross coming out there. And it's kind of like, okay, yes, he is the voice of wrestling for a certain generation, but I... uh, I, I watched him come out, and he went to the wrong entrance. All right. I don't know why the producers didn't tell him where to go. He went to the wrong entrance. And then he opens up and didn't know the city he was in. And I thought, well, fuck. I mean, that's on the top of the sheet, right? I mean, that's the top of your notes. Like, we're live for AW Revolution from Orlando, Florida. And he asked Tony, where are we? And I thought, oh, man. Age is not kind. Age is not kind, especially for broadcasters. Um, but that was not good. And that commentary where Jim, it, he can't do play-by-play like he used to. And, I, and, and, and let me just point this out. When Jim was started off doing like New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I thought he was 
good. I thought he was good. I think that um, he was able to understand a different type of physicality, and I thought that he did well enough in New Japan on Access TV. I thought it was, you know, he, he taught me a lot by watching he and uh, and that broadcast I thought was solid. But he goes to AEW, and he doesn't do play-by-play anymore. And I think there's a certain section of fans that think, well, how come Jim doesn't sound like the Attitude Era? How come he's not saying Stone Cold three times? How come he's not, you know, over the top? Because Jim doesn't have that, the the um, the chops anymore to sound like that in, in that entertaining way. And now he's more of a color analyst. He's a host. It op- opens up the broadcast, but he's more of a uh, a host. And he provides color. And I think that times, the last couple of weeks on Dynamite, I thought he was sensational. He was lucid. I thought he was fun and uh, was really getting the storylines over. Then he gets to the pay-per-view and he just wasn't good. It just just wasn't. It's like the stuff he was asking, he's asked um, Excalibur at some point, what's the difference between a Liger bomb and a power bomb? And like, of course, Excalibur knows. And like, Jim was like, oh, I'm just testing you. Just seeing if you knew, like... It, it's it's um, podcast gym and not play-by-play gym or color analyst gym. Um, it makes me wonder if he was in WWE doing that, what do you think Vince would say, Vince McMahon say? Like, that's that's just not good. And he's in there for name recognition. I get that. Um, but as far as getting the stories over, it's not about Jim getting over. It's about the talent getting over. And... Um, yeah, broadcasting and age, it uh, it catches up to you. It, that was not good. And I hope that there's a turnaround in his broadcast. But if you don't know what city you're in, that's tough. And just the commentary all throughout, it just um, very, very more missed than hit for Jim. And you're doing color with two other guys, with you and Shivani. You got to be able to just get in and out with just solid sound bites, um, to get the town over. It's not about, you know, whether or not, you know, what restaurants you're going to go to in a particular town for AEW. It's, he's, ne- he's never been particularly funny. Uh, he's been entertaining with things that he was fed by Vince McMahon or his time in the WWE because there's more of an entertainment company than pro wrestling. Um, but the days of Jim and even New Japan, I think that's past him. And as I mentioned, it's, uh, difficult when you're 73 and you got to sit there for four hours and but ultimately it's just about being able to just let the fans know like dude i'm with it man i'm gonna say i'm gonna turn my volume up to 10 or as high as i can to let people know what you're watching is exciting and as i tweeted at uh wrestling twt I, i said i wish that jim was as exciting as i am watching AEW wrestling and I really meant that. Like, I, I really wish sitting there that Jim was as excited as I was <laughs> because I thought that that card was tremendous. And I think Jim was kind of in a lull at some at some point. And um, that's when you make a call as an executive producer or Tony Khan and you go, Jim, you got to just come in here for just the main event. Or Jim, you can come in here for a couple of matches or, you know, but, but for him to sit out there the entire time and for him to not really be with it and, and kind of shit on Excalibur, which I think is weird. Give me a Tiger Driver 98. I just need one. Give me a Tiger Driver 98. Well, that ain't funny. 
What was that? It has nothing to do in context with the show. And I was just like, what? Mm, not great. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to end on a, a sour note, but I just want to say like, as much as I enjoyed the show, I'm concerned about Jim in that spot. Uh, again, he's been a frequent guest on this show. And I've respected his work over the years. I mean, especially in Mid-South and UWF and, you know, his climb through the NWA, the WWE. But just like right now, it's just not it's not helping the broadcast when you get these sidebars and this kind of talking under talking into your shirt when you got exciting action in the ring. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, Instagram at Wrestling TWT. It's Wrestling TWT. And the YouTube, boy, it's, just, it's growing. YouTube, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. My friends, thank you so much for checking out the uh, podcast. And, and wherever you're listening, ESPN Chicago or on Spotify or SoundCloud, thanks so much for chime, chiming in. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts, by the way. Hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet Hood, Instagram uh, at WrestlingTWT. Love to get your reaction to AW Revolution. As always, I appreciate you listening. Don't forget the YouTube and the merchandise, and I will see you next time. There's always stuff going on, so just keep it here. Tell someone that John the Hood Talks Wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit the subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode.